Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. subject of marriage. Amen. And if you saw the Princess Bride, I want to talk about marriage. Marriage. Amen. Some of you will know what I'm talking about there. Now you might say, well, hey, why, why talk about marriage on a Sunday when there's such a diverse crowd? Well, let me just give you a couple quick reasons. First of all, there are a lot of single people here today, and many of them don't want to be single forever. So I would encourage you, if that's you, to listen up and get yourself ready. I used to love it when I was a young adult and I was single and somebody talked about stuff. I, was like, I need to learn something here. Let me, let me find out. Also, there's some married people in this room that probably are not going to show up for a marriage seminar. And I, I hope to give you a little bit of something to put in your marriage toolbox that can help you be a better husband or wife. And then I think the vast majority of the rest of the married couples you are glad to have an opportunity to do anything to make your marriage and your home better. Amen? Amen. And that includes getting to hear a good word from church, uh, at church, that can help you. Also, let me just throw this out here. By the way, anytime you're at church, it doesn't matter what the message is about, always have your heart open to receive the word of the Lord. Amen? I could go to a ladies' conference, and I'm going to get something out of the sermon. Right? Because it's the Word of God. I could go to a youth service. I'm going to get something out of that message because it's the Word of God and there's always principles. So let me encourage you today. Don't just go, oh, he's going to talk about marriage. This sermon's not going to help me. You be ready. And there are some stuff I'm going to talk about today that I'm confident can help. So that being said, I ran over a little bit in the first service. I'm going to try not to do that today. Let's go to Genesis 2, 21 through 24 for our text. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why, and I want you to notice verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That same verse 24, I want to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Everybody say united. I want to talk on this subject today, the united marriage. The united marriage. Now, the goal of any Christian marriage should be to have not only a marriage that is pleasant and fulfilling and rewarding, but one that is blessed by God. Can everybody say amen to that? And one of the keys is found in our text in Genesis 2 and 24. I also, though, I want to read this in another translation that you might be more familiar with because it kind of gives us a little bit more details of how you unite. Let me read verse 24 from the King James Version. It says this, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and notice, and he shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Notice it says they've got to leave some things behind, this case mother and father, and cleave to his wife. Now, this has been called by many marriage counselors and even pastors as the leave and cleave principle. How many of you have heard of that before? 
leave and cleave. Okay, I see a few hands around the room. In other words, it's saying that in order to succeed, there's some things you have to leave behind in your relationships, and there's some things that you need to hold on to, to build a united marriage. One man said this. He said, the problem with some marriages is that they start off as an ideal, then they become an ordeal, and pretty soon you're looking for a new deal. <laughs> now, I hope that's none of you today, amen. I hope you're still maybe at the ideal situation. You might be in an ordeal situation, but I'm going to try to help you to not look for a new deal situation today. So I realize also we've got all kinds of needs represented in our audience and different stages of marriage. Some of you are newlyweds. There's, uh, we got a couple in our marriage life group. They've only been married for about three or four months. Uh, there's some of you that have been married a long time. Floyd, where are you at? Where's Floyd and Gail? Raise your hands up. Floyd and Gail, you see those hands? It's coming up on 60 years of marriage. I just need to give them a microphone and I need to sit down. And let him just give us some wisdom and her some wisdom about marriage. Because I'll tell you, if you can't learn about marriage from somebody who's been married 60 years, you are in a bad situation. First service, we had a couple in the service that had been married for 65 years. 65 years, amen. That's longer than most of us have been alive, amen. 65 years of marriage. So how do you do that? Well, let's kind of go back to the very beginning, and let's look at God's original design, and that's why we're starting at Genesis chapter 2. Now, I'm not going to dig deep into the story, but you may be familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. Adam was put in the garden, and it was a perfect environment. He had everything that he wanted. He had a place to live. He had a purpose to live for, protection. He had it made in the shade, amen. Yet the Bible says God looked at Adam, and he said this, it is not good. Now, this was the first time in the creation story that God did this. And more specifically, he looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, you got to know, Adam had already been in such, Adam had been naming all the animals, the male and the female, doing all this kind of stuff. And you might say, well, what's God saying? Is, it, is he saying that it's wrong to be single? No. Absolutely not. Matter of fact, read the New Testament. Paul really talks about a lot of the virtues of being single. But what God is saying was he didn't want anybody to be lonely. And by the way, one of the purposes of marriages is partnership that can help uh, prevent loneliness. Now, there's a lot of other ways to prevent loneliness in your life. You hear us talk about it all the time. That's why we want everybody to join us Go ahead, hit it again, brother. I'm ready. <laughs> what in the world? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I, forget. I lost my train of thought. Amen. <laughs> so what did God do? He made Adam a wife. And, it, you know, you might think, well, was Eve just an afterthought? I don't think Eve was an afterthought. Here's what I think God wanted to do. He wanted Adam to recognize after naming all those animals, guess what? There's two of everything except me. There's two dogs. There's two cats. There's two cows. There's two horses. There's two of everything but, but me. And he realized something is missing in my life. So in verse 21, verse 22, go back and read it. The Bible says God took a rib from Adam's side, created the first woman, Eve, to be his wife. The Bible says that Adam called her woman. Amen. I think really that's a translation in me. The first time Adam took a look at her, he went, whoa, man. So they put those two words together, woman, amen. There we go, yeah. That's a dad joke. There you go. So hear me. Verse 24, though, tells us there's some things you have to leave, other things you need to cleave to. So let's talk about that today. I'm going to give you a few things you need to let go of and a few things you need to hold on to. Are you ready? All right, the first one's the easiest. Here's number one. First thing you got to let go of is your parents. Everybody say parents. Amen. This one's obvious. It's usually the easiest. But let me talk about it and explain it for just a few minutes. For this reason, it's that man and wife coming together. A man will leave his father and mother. There is a leaving that has to be done. Now, this is true for both men and and women, you've got to leave your parents, let go of parents. Now, this passage is not talking about geography. 
necessarily talking about moving out of the house or moving across the country. It's talking about cutting the umbilical cord. Not cutting them out of your life. God is talking about leaving them psychologically and emotionally. There is a breaking away. Amen. Leaving literally meaning breaking your dependence upon them. That's important. You've got to cut the emotional umbilical cord. Your relationship to your parents, hear me, it changes the very moment you get married. It's just like, for example, think of it this way. A brand new baby cannot live unless you cut the cord that sustained them for nine months in the womb. But that cord has to be cut in order to enter the next dimension of life. Every young couple, when you get married, there's an emotional cord that has to be cut to your parents. Your parents could live 3,000 miles away on the other side of the country and you still be dependent upon them. Or they might live next door or you might still live in the house but still be able to live independent of them. There is an emotional detachment, though, that has to be made. I, I, I hear about spouses who will never make a decision without getting mom and dad's permission. That's not Now, get their advice, but you don't need their permission. Can I help you right now? Amen. If you're married, guess what? You're your own boss now. And you need to live that way. You need to act that way. It's a good thing. Some couples, anytime there's a problem, they call their parents. Again, I'm not talking about getting advice. But I'm talking about you've got to be able to make decisions on your own. You cleave to your spouse. Amen. Hear me. Your partner should not have to compete with your parents. Amen. They shouldn't have to compete with your parents. They shouldn't. It's unrealistic. It's unfair. It puts all kinds of unfair pressure on a marriage. Hear me. It will make wives feel insecure. It will make husbands feel inadequate. If you're constantly comparing them to your parents. So you've got to let go of your parents. Amen. And, uh, and you know, maybe that's why Adam and Eve had such a great marriage. There were no in-laws to deal with. Right? I mean, wow. And they still got it wrong. Right? They were living in paradise. No in-laws. Amen. Everything they, and they still messed up. Some people might never learn to love or trust their spouse, though, because they have issues letting go of mom or dad. Draw the boundaries. Hear me. And by the way, notice in the verse, it tells the man and woman they have to leave the parents. Because here's what I know. Parents never leave the kids. You never stop parenting. I have a daughter who just turned 30 this week. I have two daughters that are both married. And I have son-in-laws now. But guess what? I will never stop being a parent. Lauren, who just turned 30, will always be my little girl. All the way to the grave. But I also understand there's some boundaries that I have to honor because I'm not the number one man in her life anymore. Can I help some of you parents right now? You've got to understand your role changes when they say, I do. Amen? Leave the parents. All right, let me give you another one you've got to let go of to have a united marriage. You've got to let go of other people. You've got to let go of other people. Other relationships. Sometimes other friends. Sometimes the, the role of your brother or sister in your life has to change. You've got to let go of other people you've held on to. It might be a former boyfriend or girlfriend. By the way, you don't have to pray about that. Can I just go ahead and help you? You don't have to pray and fast. You don't have to weep and travail. You don't have to seek counseling. Amen. Cut them loose. Let them go. Lose the number. Amen. It might even be a former spouse that you have to let go of if you're in a second marriage or, or a third marriage. Amen. Contrary to what Willie Nelson says, you've got to forget all the girls you've loved before. <laughs> you you got to forget them. Amen. <laughs> you got to let go of them. Contrary to what the great theologian George Strait said, if all your exes live in Texas, you got to hang your hat in Tennessee. Amen. Let go. Everybody say let go. Let go of people. Focus on this relationship, your spouse. If you don't, you're going to fall into the trap of comparison. Things start going wrong in your marriage. You start thinking, oh, if only he or she was like so-and-so. Oh, that's a dangerous path to go down. If only I hadn't broken off that relationship. Maybe I should have married Jim or Sally. Folks, there's a reason why you broke up with Jim and Sally. You know, we have selective memories, don't we? 
We only remember the good stuff. Matter of fact, they've proven that as you get older. That's why we reminisce about the good old days. Because we suppress negative memories and negative experiences, and we only remember the good experiences. Can I just tell you right now, the good old days are not as great as you think they were. You've just forgotten about the bad old stuff from the good old days. And so you've got to understand, you've got to let go of people. Amen. Uh, and, and by the way, let go of that grass is greener thinking as well. It's a myth. It's a lie. Here's what Frank Freed said about it. The grass is not greener on that side of the fence, and the grass is not greener on this side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water. And then I love this next line. And you might want to write this down. What you need to do is stop comparing and start cultivating. That's how you get greener grass. Amen. I can admire the grass in my neighbor's yard all I want to. But until I start aerating and seeding and fertilizing and weeding, the grass in my yard is never going to get greener. Stop comparing. Start cultivating. Well, if he or she was more, stop comparing. Start cultivating. Well, I just wish that my husband made enough money. To stop comparing. Start cultivating. Amen. Marriage is an exclusive relationship. It takes priority over everything and everyone except your relationship with God. It's the most important thing in your life. Other relationships always take second place. Amen. If, by the way, let me say this. In, if you've got a friend that is a bad influence on your marriage, let them go too. Come on, cut the cord. You know what I found out, and this has been a painful lesson to learn, most of my friends have not been lifetime friendships. There's a very small circle of friends that I'm probably going to carry to the finish line. Very small. And they come and they go, right? And if you've got those somebody that's breathing toxic energy into your marriage, that every time you get around them, they're just talking bad about their husband or their wife. Come on, somebody. You don't need that in your life. I need a little bit more help from the congregation than this. Because those kind of people will rub off on you. Let go. Everybody say let go of other people. All right, number three. Here's the third thing you got to let go of. Let go of the past. Let it go. Amen. Again, I already mentioned, we have a tendency, we idealize the past. Our hometowns, our growing up experiences, our dating relationships. Come on. We make them larger than life. Oh, I wish I still lived and blah, blah, blah. Have you been back to blah, blah, blah? It ain't all that. Amen. It ain't that great. I wish I still worked for such and such. A, I wish I still, I wish I would have never left so. Folks, let go of the past. Amen. There were a lot of problems in the past. We just don't focus on those things. You know what we do? We make idols of our past. And we idolize things that we think the past was. And hear me, if your past, let me just help somebody. If your past really was great, God bless you if it was. But what good is it to constantly focus or compare the present to something you cannot relive? Amen? you got to live in the present. My wife grew up in a pastor's home, right? I didn't. I grew up in the opposite of a pastor's home. And when we got married, I had no idea how to create the kind of an environment that she grew up in. But guess what? Thank God she didn't expect me to create that kind of an environment. I could not create that past for her. I could not do that. you got to make your home the, not some icon uh, or, or, or uh, a picture of what you think was in the past. You've got to say right now, the situation I'm in, that's home. Come on. Your home is where you and your spouse are right now. And somebody, here's a good word for somebody. You need to grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. You know what happens to a lot of us? We start pulling up roots about the time the, the roots start getting settled. You've got to grow where you're planted. And let me say something to the folks who've been married more than once. Or maybe you're single and you, and you were married before. You hope to get remarried again one day. Hear me. Part of the past that you have to let go of, or if you're in your second or third marriage, you got to let go of your previous marriage. Amen? Come on. you got to let go of it. And some of you that are single, you're still carrying around a lot of baggage, or you're, you're divorced. You're carrying around a lot of pain. Amen? you got to let go of that. 
your new spouse, if you're remarried, should not have to walk on eggshells because your old spouse was a jerk. Come on. Your new spouse should not have to live in the shadow of your former spouse because you married Mary, the mother of Jesus. You married the perfect man before. Nobody can live in somebody else's shoes. It's just not fair. Let go of the past. Let go of parents. Let go of people. Let go of the past. And here's one that will help everybody in the room. Let go of your problems. Let go of those problems. Your marriage is going to have enough new problems without you holding on to all the old ones. Amen. Come on. This includes, by the way, old problems from earlier in your marriage if you've been married more than just a few years. Come on. you got to let go of those things too. Most people are totally unaware of the excess baggage that they bring into a relationship or that sometimes they hold on to in a relationship that they carry around with them. And it affects where they are right now. Old problems, old issues will derail and wreck your marriage. So now, let me be more specific. What kind of problems do you need to let go of? I'm going to give you some real quick. I think four. First of all, you got to let go of old grudges. Amen? Old grudges. you got to let go of them. There are few things that will destroy a marriage quicker than resentment. It will eat you alive. It causes you to react in the present. Because of the past. When you say, I can't stand that person, what are you doing? You're focusing on them, right? When you say, I can never forgive that person, what are you doing? You're allowing them to bother you yet even today. Come here, let me just help some. Some of you are still allowing people who hurt you in your past to hurt you today. And guess what? It's hurting your relationship. It's affecting you. Amen. Your past cannot hurt you unless you choose to allow it to hurt you. Let go of those grudges. Amen. If you keep on resenting and grudging, you are hurting the present. Amen. And for some of you, the past grudges may be from your spouse. You still need to let it go. Well, you don't know what they were like the first five years of my marriage. No, I don't. But if that's all you're going to focus on, you're never going to make it to the end. Amen. Let go of those grudges. Some of you are holding grudges over poor financial decisions that your spouse made. Let it go. Amen. Some of you are holding grudges over poor choices that they made in other areas of their life. Here's what I advise you. Get some counseling if you need to. Offer forgiveness. Expect accountability. And then let it go. Let it go. Here's something else you got to let go of. you got to let go of grief. Now, this might not apply to a lot of people, but I want to help somebody here today. That's another problem from the past. Everybody experiences sorrow and loss. We all grieve from time to time. It's normal. It's natural. But hear me, what is unnatural is when mourning never sees the light of day. And when it turns into continual darkness or self-pity. Don't let grief become a cave that you never crawl out of. Come on. Grief is normal, again, but when you hold on to it longer than you should or you don't learn to process it in a healthy way, it becomes destructive, and you'll start saying things like, I'm never going to be happy again. No matter what my husband does, I'm never going to be happy. Guess what? You're not going to ever be happy. No matter what my wife does, she can never make me happy because I'm going to grieve the rest of my life. Amen. To never let go of grief robs your spouse and yourself of joy and happiness that rightfully belongs in your home. Folks, sometimes we have to accept what can't be changed. No matter how much you grieve, you can't change the past. Can I also say some of you are grieving what could have been or what should have been in your marriage. Not just the death. You're not grieving the death of a loved one. You're grieving the death of your dream. Amen. Maybe you're grieving what you thought your marriage was going to be like. But if you hold on to that grief, you're never going to be able to build upon what you have right now. Come on, I want to help somebody right now. Accept what cannot be changed. Focus on what's left, not what's lost. Focus on what you've got left, not what you've lost. Amen? Let go of grudges. Let go of grief. Here's something else we got to let go of. Let go of guilt. Everybody say guilt. A lot of marriages die from secret guilt, guilt that destroys marriages. It ruins openness. It damages trust. Amen. It kills intimacy. Guilt does all kind of terrible things. A lot of people are torturing themselves and their marriages for things that sometimes happened even before they were married. And that's not fair to your spouse, right? 
or maybe something that happened since you were married. Hear me, there's only one solution, confession to God and receiving forgiveness. If you're ate up with guilt, we ask forgiveness from God, we accept forgiveness from God, and then we offer forgiveness to those who've hurt and offended us. 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I spoke to the couple that was married for 65 years after service, and he said, Pastor, I can give you one word that sums up how we made it 65 years. I said, oh, I've got to hear it. He said, forgiveness. And he started crying. He said, forgiving each other and accepting forgiveness from the Lord. You've got to forgive. Amen. Don't let the past manipulate the present. No good marriage happens without forgiveness. It's one of the essentials of a good marriage. you got to constantly be forgiven. Amen. Now, that's the leaving. Let's, let's go on to the united, the cleaving part, okay? A man, the Bible says, will leave his father and mother and cleave. That word means to be glued together, to paste together, to adhere to. It means to stick, to superglue. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Let me just illustrate it this way. And I forgive... I ask all the Ohio State fans to forgive me for these Michigan colors, amen. The two Michigan fans came up and told me how much they appreciated the, the blue and gold. But, but this, is, this is a lot like what relationships are like, right? You got two people, I mean, they got it together. They look so great. They got everything. Man, you flip it over, it looks good, right? This is how we present ourselves. And then one day we say, will you? They say, I will. And then you get to the I do part. This is marriage. And you got two beautiful, happy, healthy, whole people, and you marry one another. You go through the ceremony. You spend the money. You have the party. You do the whole deal. You go on the honeymoon. You come together. And then the two become one. Cleave, right? Everything looks good. You even got a little blue in your life now. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Oh, you got a little yellow in your life now. It looks so good. And you know what? Years go by. The glue begins to harden. Life happens. Things happen. And what happens, the reason why cleaving is so important, and, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings if you've gone through a divorce or anything, but I want to talk to you about why divorce is so damaging. When two people have been married and they've cleaved, and then it comes time and they decide we're going to end this marriage, Something happens. You don't just get to walk away and have two whole images in your life anymore. It just doesn't work that way. You see, there's a reason why the Lord wants us to cleave together. You know, th th that relationship that was intended to last forever, it's painful when divorce happens. It's painful when separation happens. It's not just painful to you, but it's painful to your children as well. It's painful to your family members. It, it's Because it's not plan to be that way. So, you know, you, you think everything's going to be all right, and, and you, everything's looking good, and then what really happens, though, is you walk away from the marriage, and now you're single again, and you go to the next singles meeting, and everything looks good, right? Everything looks great, and this is the side that you present, but this is who you really are. This is who you really are. You're, you're not this person anymore. Can I just tell you something? This isn't, you just got to, you're never going to be this person anymore. There's always going to be a version of you like this. And then you meet Sally, amen? <laughs> Sally went through a rough divorce, I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> it was tough. But you know what? Sally's trying to show you this version of Sally. But really, this is the best she can offer you. And you know what happens? Here's what I love about the Lord. The Lord can bring this and this together. And He can put it together. And He can heal it. And He can restore it. But, here, but here's what I wanted to help you remember because I'm just giving you real talk today, right? Not just flowery words. You're going to have to figure out how to make all this work. 
You're going to have to figure out how to make this work. By the way, and again, I don't want to discourage you. This is why second marriages, the divorce rate is 25% higher than first marriages. Third marriages, the divorce rate is 40% higher than first marriages. Because you know you would think you're getting it right, but what you're really doing is you're bringing in a lot of damaged stuff. Hear me. And thank God nothing is impossible with the Lord, right? And I'm not telling you to give up, but I'm telling you right now, we need to think seriously about what we said when we said, I do. We need to think seriously about the part that said, till death do us part. Amen? Because that's what cleaving is all about, sticking together. You glue together and because it's always going to be painful when you don't. So let me talk to you real quick. And you might say, well, Pastor, what if, and again, we're just having real talk right now. What if you're in a marriage right now and you say, man, it's just a wreck. I don't know what to do. You know, we know good marriages are a result of choices and not chance. Amen. They don't just happen. It's not just luck. There's the result of choices you make. But some of you might feel like right now, I'm stuck in a bad marriage. I'm trapped. I don't know how to get out of this relationship. What I thought I was getting was not what I got. What do you do? It's tough. Here's my advice, okay? And this is my advice. As long as your bad marriage is not one of abuse, hear me now. I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're in an abusive marriage, you do not have to stay in an abusive marriage. I'm going to help you right now. Come on. And, and you don't always hear that in church. Sometimes people use that as an excuse to control people, to tell them you got to, you do not, if, hear me, you do not have to stay in an abusive relationship if you're in. I want to set somebody free right now. You do not have to stay in an abusive situation. You don't. Come talk to me about it later. We can talk about that if we have to. You don't have to stay in that. But what do you do if you want to try to make it work? If it's not a situation of abuse, here it is. Do whatever it takes and spend whatever it costs for as long as it takes to make your marriage work. Amen. Do whatever it takes. What do I mean by that? That means if you need to, get counseling. And if you're going to get counseling and you're a Christian, get Christian counsel. Amen. Now, I'm not throwing shade on counselors who are not Christians. I'm sure there's a lot of good ones out there. But I'm just going to tell you, if you're a Christian, you need somebody with a Christian worldview to help you navigate your marriage. Amen. Experts say that about 75% of all marriages need counseling at least sometime in their married life. I don't know if that's true or not, but a lot of people will divorce before they'll go see a counselor. Trust me, I've tried to talk them into it. Go see a counselor. No, I'm not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to. Don't be that person. And if you do see a counselor, make sure you pick the right one. By the way, if you need a Christian counselor, you call the church office this week. We will refer you to some good Christian counselors. You might say, well, I can't afford a counselor. Folks, you can't afford not to have a counselor if you need one. By the way, if you have to put it on your credit card, or borrow the money. This is the same guy that taught a financial piece the first month. Remember me telling you about how bad credit cards were? Same guy. Same guy. If you need to get a Christian counselor, put it on your credit card. Make payments. Borrow the money. Do whatever you got to do. Because there's nothing more important than your marriage if you're married. Can the church say amen to that? Give it the best you've got. And then if it still doesn't work, hold your head high. Walk in the grace of Jesus. Let the Lord help you move on to whatever the next phase of your life looks like. And don't look back. Amen. But you got to know you gave it your best. All right, real quick, let's talk about how do you cleave. First of all, cleave despite what the culture says. Because I want to tell you right now, we live in a culture right now, there are forces in our society that are hard at work against the family. They used to be subtle about it. They used to be discreet about it. Now they don't even hide it anymore. Amen. They want to destroy the traditional family. Amen. One man, one woman. Amen. One heterosexual couple married together for life. They're trying to redefine marriage. They're trying to redefine gender. They're trying to redefine everything to change what the family looks like. Folks, we got to stay together despite the culture. There's also economic pressure like never before. Materialism, all this in our culture, it fights against our marriage. Amen. But the fact that so many people are so discontent, culture is breeding that discontentment. Amen. 
the traditional family's deteriorating. Everybody's going different directions. So how do we respond to that? Here it is, Romans 12 and 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Come on, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Exodus 23 and 2 says, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Come on, just because everybody else is taking a cheap view of marriage, let's still hold that covenant dearly in the Christian church. So cleave despite the culture. Here's the next area you need to cleave. Cleave despite crisis. Everybody say crisis. I'm talking about things that are going to turn your life upside down. And hear me, they will come into every marriage. External forces that throw you out of gear and leave you wondering what is going to happen. Stuff that overwhelms you and you're up to your neck and you think you're going to go on. Crisis can be devastating. And crisis will flow into your marriage if you stay together for any length of time. What am I talking about? Man, it might be an accident. It might be a bankruptcy. It might be a prolonged illness. It might be a problem child. It might be a death. It might be cancer. Come on, and some people can't handle it and they walk out. And one of the true tests of your marriage is how do you handle it when your life or your lifestyle is turned upside down? What do you do? Amen. How do you handle it when things don't work out as planned? Folks, you got to be prepared for the floods of adversity to flow into your life. Do you remember your vows for better or for worse? Sometimes commitment means a willingness to be unhappy for a while. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me everything's going to be hunky. No, no, no. Sometimes you might be unhappy for a while because you're a team and you've got to work on it. We're in this together. You don't just jump off the ship the first sign of trouble. Sometimes you stick with it even when it's not fun. So what can you do to weather a storm? I'm going to give you some scripture and then pull a couple little nuggets out of it real quick. I'm almost done. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Hallelujah. So from Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, how do you cleave in a crisis? Number one, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Isaiah said, fear not. You might as well relax because you can't do a lot about everything anyway. Worrying never solved a problem. Don't be afraid. Why? The Scripture says, I have redeemed you. I've got a plan. Amen. You may not see it. You may not understand it. You may not recognize it. But there's a purpose behind this problem. And God's purpose is always greater than any problem that you face. He said, I have called you by name. Amen. God says, I've got your number when you're going through a flood. Here's another thing you got to do in the middle of a crisis. Recognize God's presence. Close your eyes, take a breath, look around. You're not alone. He's there. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Hallelujah. If you're a Christian, I've got good news for you. You're never going to go through a flood by yourself. God is with you. You're not alone. He's there. Recognize His presence. The third thing you need to do is rely on God's protection. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. you got to have an attitude that says, God, I'm trusting you to see us through this. We don't like it. We don't want it. We're not enjoying this crisis. But, God, we're going through a difficult time, but we're going to trust you to see us through. Walk through the fire with him. Have you ever noticed, too, that when there's a fire or flood in your life, God doesn't usually take you around it. He takes you through it. And have you ever noticed the speed that you go through? He says, when you walk through the fire. Now, I don't know about you. When there's a fire, I like to hop, skip, and jump my way through the fire. I don't like to dilly-dally around. I don't want to just waddle in my pride. I want to get through. But you know what, man? Sometimes God just says, you got to walk through this because I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to grow you. I'm trying to change you. Amen. Not your circumstance, you. And once I change you, I'm going to change your circumstance. So sometimes you just got to rely on God's protection. Here's another point I want to share with you. You got to cleave during changes. It's my last point. Everybody say change. 
Here's the fact. Your marriage is always changing. It is. It's dynamic. It's not static. Very few young couples realize this when they get married. I didn't know. I thought the girl I was marrying was the girl I was going to have the rest of my life. I, she thought, probably thought the guy she was marrying was the guy she was going to have the rest of her life. It doesn't work that way. Marriages change because people change. Amen? Uh, I, I can't remember which daughter it was. It was Lauren or Lindsay. I think it was Lauren. But before she was ever uh, engaged, I think she might have even been before she was dating, one of them said, Dad, I sure hope when I find somebody, I find somebody just like you. Man, I mean, that just warmed my heart, right? But you know what I told her? I said, if you find somebody who is just like me when I was 20, you may not like them the way you like me at 40. Amen. And folks, that's the reality. The 50-year-old version of me is not the same as the 20-year-old version of me. Amen. I'm different. And by the way, you're not the same either. We all change. It's inevitable. There are a lot of changes that every marriage goes through. Newly weds grow into maturity into their marriage. If you've been married less than five years, God bless you. You still got a lot of stuff you're going to be learning. It's just inevitable, right? Change comes. Kids come along. Homes are bought and sold. Jobs are gained and lost. Good financial decisions, bad financial decisions. Sweet little babies become mean teenagers. <laughs> I got a real enthusiastic amen from one brother, amen. There's college, there's the empty nest, there's retirement, there's midlife crisis, there's sickness. Come on, there's till death do us part kind of stuff. Some of you have already gone through one or two or three or a bunch of these things. You're going to go through some more. And hear me, how you handle the changes in your marriage has a lot to do with how you anticipate and navigate change together. Can I just help you right now? Anticipate it. It's coming. Be prepared for it. Amen. And by the way, all change is not for the better, but you still got to understand it's a fact of life. Here's what Elizabeth Elliott said in her book, Let Me Be a Woman. I want the praise team to come on up. She talked about how marriage was constantly changing, and she was speaking to wives, and she said this, and I quote. She said, the fact is, your provider may someday lose his job. Your strength may show unexpected weakness. Your knight in shining armor may experience a public defeat. Your teacher may make a serious mistake that you warned him about. Your lover may become a helpless patient, sick, sore, sad. Needing your presence and care every minute of the day and night. This isn't the man I married you're going to say, and it will be true. But you married him for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. And those tremendous promises, I love this part, took into account the possibility of radical change. That's why the promises were necessary. Most of you remember your wedding, right? You remember those vows? And when I sit down with young couples and I talk to them, one of the things we inevitably get to, we talk about the marriage ceremony. And I always ask them, tell me about the vows that you want to do. And I'm not throwing shade on anybody, but most newlyweds, most young couples, you know what they, they oh, we don't care which vows we use. Pastor, you just, you just pick the ones that you like. Pick the traditional ones. Or, or maybe we're going to write our own vows or whatever. You know why? Because in, in youth, I'm just going to work a little hard. I'm going to put it. 
on my body. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to get a little cosmetic surgery, a nip, a tuck, a lift here and there. Folks, just embrace it. I remember when I had a man bod, a young man body, that turned into a dad bod, and now I've got the grandpa bod. <laughs> and you know, it hasn't been fun, but can I just tell everybody, Mother Nature does show up knocking, and gravity does work. Amen. And you know, folks, you can resist it all you want. Change is coming.
Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.